This is the Soulpreneur Lifestyle Podcast, your go-to place for creative ideas on how to run your business in a way that lights you up and gives you purpose, all in a way that still allows you to live the lifestyle that you want to live. And I'm your host, Simran Bhatia. And this episode is brought to you by the Flowation.com directory of spiritual-minded healers and professionals. Imagine a resource where you can search for like-minded professionals to help you with everyday life issues, as well as to help guide you along your spiritual journey. We're launching soon, so soulpreneurs of every profession come join the waitlist to learn how you can promote your business, products, or services on the Floation directory at floation.com backslash directory waitlist. That is F-L-O-W-A-T-I-O-N.com backslash directory waitlist. A universe of opportunities awaits you. Today's guest is Zach Mumford from Experiential Learning, and he has created a really amazing, wonderful experience for primarily homeschooled students who can get out and go with his group to Costa Rica and have a study abroad type of experience, but it is totally out of the classroom and out in the real world. And so it's wonderful about getting them to actually teach things through life skills that they're learning in this process. And so we discussed his journey of becoming an entrepreneur and the very beginning of stages of his business where he's at, what he's doing to grow, and what and why he actually felt compelled to create this experience for Today's guest is Zach Mumford. He is the owner of Experiential Travel and is really developing a very interesting business model that we're going to get into. So thank you so much, Zach, for joining us today. Hi, Simran. Thanks for having me. So let's talk a little bit about your background before we get into what you're actually doing with your business right now. You mentioned that you've been a homeschooler, unschooler kind of your whole life. What does that really mean and what was your kind of process growing up of, you know, getting a education compared to the formal education that we're all sort of used to? Sure. So, um, my mom made the decision to homeschool us kids from the very beginning. So um, from kindergarten all the way through high school, I was homeschooled. And um, in the beginning, she was more of a structured approach to homeschooling where there's a curriculum, um, you know, math, English, everything had its subject and so forth. And um, of course, you're required to pass a standardized test at the end of the year. Um, but as we progressed into high school, my mom gave me more free reign to explore subjects that were interesting to me, you know, to kind of create my own direction. 
And um, that's when I really got into travel. I was researching um, countries to travel to and um, learning Spanish. And that kind of led into taking my first backpacking trips to Central America, which essentially got me on the path to where I'm at now. Um, so as far as an education, um, you know, you get the basics there and then it leaves room to work at your own pace as well as explore subjects that are interesting and, and make you, um, you know, passionate about pursuing them to the full extent that you can. That sounds amazing because really it sounds like you got to get in touch with your passions a lot earlier um, in life than many other people do. So you mentioned learning Spanish. Um, are there any other languages that you know and how has that kind of helped your process of being able to actually get up and go out and travel and interact with people? Sure. So I do only speak Spanish and English, obviously. Um, but my parents took us all to Nicaragua when I was young, and we spent three months there, a full summer, uh, taking lessons in Spanish, which kind of jump-started the process for me. I know it takes people a lot longer to learn that in a regular curriculum here in the United States, um, but that's been vital. That has opened so many doors for me, personally and professionally. I mean, I'm able to travel around uh, a good part of the world now, Central and South America, with no problem conversing with no problem. Um, it's opened a lot of doors uh, professionally as well. Um, most jobs I've had have had an interaction with Spanish speakers and I've been able to kind of be a go-between, you know, from, from North American staff to Spanish speaking staff and so forth. Um, so it's been a really huge part of my life. That sounds amazing. So take us from, you know, high school as you're just like thinking about traveling and researching places to now you own a business that, you know, you're helping homeschoolers actually get out there and have similar experiences to what you had. What was that journey like? And then, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about your current business? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, in high school, I kind of got the inspiration. I was researching where to travel because obviously I was too young to travel on my own. Um, when I turned 18, I took my first solo backpacking trip to Nicaragua and I spent five weeks there just traveling around, um, you know, learning as I go, missing buses, having little mishaps that happen with, with travel, um, but learning a lot and kind of falling in love, in love with it. Um, and then from there, I came back and worked for a while and then went to Peru a year later and spent uh, almost three months backpacking around Peru. And uh, from there, I realized that I just needed to find a way to get paid to do that kind of thing. I just loved Latin America. I loved outdoor adventure. I loved um, other cultures. Um, so that was when I started really looking into how to get the training and experience to work in some sort of industry related to that. Um, so from there, I applied for a course at Outward Bound Costa Rica and I went down as a student and got a lot of training and certifications 
And um, I kind of went down there with the intent of getting a job or some sort of internship out of it, which did end up happening. I got an internship and then out of that internship, a job. Um, so that led to six and a half years of working in Costa Rica, both for Outward Bound as well as a wilderness therapy program a little bit later. Um, so I got a ton of experience in the field handling uh, pretty tough clients at some times, handling a pretty tough environment and um, kind of rounded out my skill set for facilitating therapeutic skills for the wilderness therapy program, facilitating adventure skills for Outward Bound, um, learning a lot about risk management and safety. Um, and so that kind of brought together the skill set that I needed to start my own business. Um, so now I've moved back to the United States where I'm currently living and um, I'm definitely not done with the adventure industry. So I wanted to create something that would allow me to work in that environment again. And um, I've decided to work and kind of focus on the homeschool community, both because I was raised there and uh, because I don't think there's as many services for the homeschool community um, as far as, you know, school trips to other countries, uh, in Spanish, you know, in public school, Spanish teachers will just take their whole class to Spain for a few weeks uh, so they can experience that. And those kind of resources don't seem to be as accessible to homeschoolers. So I really want to bring them something uh, along those lines. And um, so I started experiential travel based on that. It's very much in the beginning stages. Right now I am reaching out, trying to get some traction within that community and see what kind of interest there is and try to make programs that are what people want, you know, what they want to send their kids on or what they want to go on as a family. So um, that's kind of where I'm at right now with my, my business. So is there a particular age group that you're working with? Because you mentioned in high school feeling like maybe you were too young to do this. Um, is there, you know, a requirement or how, how do you select these students to actually be part of your programs? Sure. Well, in my own case, um, I wanted to travel on my own, which when you're 14, 15 is not, <laughs> not the best idea. Um, so that's another reason that I've created this program is because I do take um, 13 to 18 year olds and you know they're with me they're with other qualified instructors and you know we can take care of them provide that adventurous travel environment while at the same time being there to keep them safe and being a resource that's in touch with parents and so forth and kind of creating that safe environment to start experimenting with travel. That's wonderful because you're providing them basically a container um, and you gave this example before we started recording of um, like building up their self-confidence and their ability to, you know, deal with problems on their own and get out there instead of just being rescued all the time. Can you speak to, and you give an example about, you know, if you got a flat tire or something 50 years ago, it would be different than how people handle it today? Yeah. So that's kind of the core philosophy of, exper of experiential education in general. And I've kind of focused in on that and the term that really kind of encapsulates that philosophy is self-efficacy. And self-efficacy is defined as, you know, having the belief in yourself to accomplish a certain task. So it has to do with self-esteem and self-confidence. Those are kind of all interrelated. So uh, yeah, the example that you and I are talking about is, um, you know, 50 years ago, if someone, a young person was driving down the road and they got a flat tire, well, there were no cell phones, you know, they didn't have many other resources except their own knowledge, their own capability. 
to either change that tire or go and get help, right? Well, nowadays with a lot of the modern conveniences we have, smartphones and so forth, they can just call AAA without ever leaving the driver's seat and um, AAA comes out, changes the tire while they're sitting in the, in the air-conditioned car and um, they get back on the road, you know, and they didn't really have to do anything to, re to get themselves out of that situation. They were rescued by AAA in this, in this example. Um, so because we've removed a lot of that challenge of having to figure stuff out, um, we've also removed people's, young people especially, their belief in their own ability to handle situations that come their way. Um, so that's kind of what we do, um, what I'm aiming to do with experiential travel is create challenges, you know, that are safe, but at the same time, it's a challenge to hike 10 miles in the Costa Rican rainforest, you know, or it's a challenge to um, spend the night alone under a, a tarp in the rainforest. And while those are facilitated to be a safe environment, there's still a, a big enough challenge that really give young people the opportunity to say, okay, well, I'm either going to make this work and my confidence is going to grow, um, or I'm going to back out of it and not be able to accomplish it. And then, you know, as facilitators will come in and say, well, well, why don't you think you can accomplish this? How can we help you to, to succeed in this situation? Um, so that's kind of the core philosophy of what experiential travel is, is, is building up self-efficacy, self-esteem, self-confidence, and kind of um, supplementing where the modern culture is, is leaving, you know, is lacking. That's such a wonderful philosophy and concept. I feel like it's so resonant to what I'm already working on with my three-year-old, which is, you know, you can do it. Mommy doesn't have to do everything for you. Like you're fully capable and it's okay if it's a little bit of a struggle to figure it out. Um, and I can imagine how at that 13 to 18 age group, I mean, they're blossoming into adults at that stage. And to receive that gift of confidence is probably just so life-changing for them. So what are some other maybe examples you can give us of if someone were to send their son or daughter to your program, what are they going to be experiencing that will be part of that process of developing that self-efficacy? Sure. Um, so we kind of build a correct... Um a progression with each course so that when students arrive, you know, we're not throwing them into too big a challenges right off the bat. So it starts with just getting familiar with their other group members. You know, there'll be a group of, let's say, six to 12 young people that come together. Um, and that team environment, that supportive environment is, is super important to each individual's success. So getting them comfortable with each other and realizing that this is an emotionally safe place to try new things, to fail, um, you know, and we have the instructors there, the trip leaders to keep everything safe and within the bounds of, you know, um, of safety. But um, at the same time, they kind of push each other in a healthy way. Um, so getting them comfortable with one another is, is vital. And then from there, we start giving them small challenges. So the first one is just, uh, you know, putting on a backpack and hiking into a remote village, you know, and they're, you know, they're hiking through the mud and they're, they're realizing, wow, I can do this, you know, I can go to the bathroom outside, I can hike through the mud, I can see new wildlife and all this kind of stuff. And then the challenges get bigger. We'll have them repel a waterfall, you know, and we're, we're there um, belaying them with ropes and so forth, but they get that sensation of being really nervous and then succeeding at repelling the waterfall. And then we can debrief that and say, well, what other situations in your life have you been really nervous about that have maybe stopped you from, from going for it, you know? 
that have held you back in some way. Um, so we transfer that skill set of, uh, yeah, I just overcame a huge challenge that made me really nervous. So I can probably do that in other areas of my life. And, um, you know, from there, the challenges get a little bit bigger than we, we set them up to build their own tarp shelter in the rainforest and uh, spend a night out there or a couple hundred yards away, you know, if they have any problem. But at the same time, they wake up the next morning saying, hey, I just built a shelter and spent a night essentially alone in the rainforest. Um, and so there's a big transformation that happens in them, even in just a two week course, you know, the longer, the better. But, you know, we have really quiet kids come in um, that aren't too sure of themselves. They're really not that outspoken within the group. And then as the challenges go along, they realize, wow, I really do have capability and value as a person. And by the end, they are best friends with the rest of the group. They're trying new things. They're talking about what they're going to do with their friends outdoors when they get back home. Uh, they discovered new activities that they like and um, kind of just discovered the ability to face challenges. It sounds like there's a big component of, you know, survival skills and then just the side effect being emotional growth from that. Um, and now this might be a misconception on my part, so please feel free to correct me. But, you know, in the homeschool environment, um, most people are not exposed to a daily, hourly, kind of just rigorous interaction with other kids their own age who are outside of their own family. So is there a social component to this as well to help them kind of learn a little bit more about social dynamics and etiquette and how to interact with others? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they're in a group environment from the very beginning and they go through the, the whole course together. We hike, you know, one of our main courses is to hike into this village in Costa Rica and they go from homestay to homestay together as a group. Uh, we kind of camp out on the floor in these, in these Costa Rican homes um, together and they get to experience new things, which kind of, in a way, forces them to form tighter bonds because they're kind of facing these challenges as a team. And it's, you know, either we succeed together or we fail together kind of thing. Um, so yeah, they get a lot of exposure to one another. We facilitate uh, team dynamics, um, uh, leadership skills, just activities kind of sprinkled in there throughout the course um, that kind of teaches them their own style of leadership and how they are prone to react and interact with, with other people. And that gives them some insight into, okay, this is my style and this other person has another style. So how can we meet in the middle and interact in a healthy way? And yeah, there is a lot of, um, there's a big perception of homeschoolers and this is not always true, but there's a perception is that homeschoolers don't get a lot of social skills because they're essentially at home all day. Now there's plenty of sports teams and bands and, you know, different activities that homeschoolers get together and, and experience together for that socialization aspect. Um, but that is another reason why I have um, begun experiential travel is to give, give that option, you know, to have, have your teenage child go away to a group of, of similar aged people and, you know, have a shared experience, a shared adventure and, um, you know, learn everything that goes along with that, which is definitely social skills as well. That's wonderful. 
And so now one more kind of just logistical question. So you, when they're, they're walking in, they're expecting, um, you had mentioned like you're not staying at big hotels. Um, you're just kind of having a very earthy experience of staying with families or on campgrounds or in the rainforest, etc. So have you experienced with students that they have some sort of culture shock? Um, or they're really outside of their comfort zone, what kind of growth are they experiencing from that? What's the experience like for them in general when they come to understand that, you know, this is not going to be a cushy vacation? Sure. Well, first off, we try to make it clear that that's, you know, not the aim of our program. So uh, if parents have done a good job saying, hey, we're going to send you to this program, this is kind of what it's going to be like, then that kind of takes the first edge off of the you know, hopefully there's not a surprise when they show up and they're not going to a, a five-star hotel or anything like that. Um, and then, yeah, we, we try to stay in homestays as much as we can. Um, we use a few hostels where we rent out a whole dorm and, you know, the, the trip leaders are right in there with the dorm, in the dorm with the, with the teenagers. Um, but mostly we use homestays also as a way to give back to the Costa Rican community. You know, these big hotel chains, they don't need more business, but uh, these little families that have a home, you know, they can make money off of having people stay there and uh, cooking for them. So there's kind of that, that aspect to it as well. Um, and there's not as much culture shock as you might think. I think if we came straight from the airport and walked into the middle of, you know, the capital city, San Jose, there in Costa Rica, there would probably be an element of that. But um, as we go, you know, they're in a group with other usually North American kids. So they kind of have that little group to be within and then they come up to one family at a time. And it's kind of a slower introduction where they get to see, you know, a very intimate side of Costa Rican culture um, without being completely thrown into the mix of, you know, different languages and buses and, you know, that whole city overwhelming type thing. Um, so then towards the end of the course, after they've been exposed to the family environment, then we do a tour of you know, one of the cities and we see the historic sites and they get to experience a little bit more of, you know, what is it actually like to live in a Costa Rican city. And um, by that point, they're, they're a little more comfortable um, with being there. And they always have uh, the instructors, the trip leaders to go back to if they're, if they're struggling, we try to help sometimes just to call home or something like that helps them to, to feel better about where they're at. Um, but yeah, we try to, to do a mix of preparing them beforehand and also introducing them slowly into the culture. That sounds like a solid formula. So shifting gears a little bit, you know, you mentioned that you're right at that phase of having done your homework and your marketing things and you're just kind of getting going on your own with your own business here. What has that process been like for you? What was the transition from, you know, being somebody who is working in this field for somebody else in Costa Rica to actually establishing those connections that you need and um, where are you at? in the whole process as well. Can you share a little bit about that part of your journey? Sure. Um, so it's been a bit of a, a slow process. Um, I have a lot of experience, obviously, in, in leading the trips and that whole side of it. But um, as far as I know, there aren't too many other programs that are doing this sort of things for the homeschool community. So 
rather than you know marketing to an audience that already knows about this sort of industry i'm kind of reaching out into the homeschool community to let them know that this resource exists and so that uh, makes it a little bit slower um, so yeah i've been trying to build up a list of email subscribers that i can keep in touch with and try to build interest around that i have a facebook page also um, that i try to post on pretty regularly i send out a newsletter each month of course um, and then i have been reaching out to homeschool groups here near where I live um, to try to give them free presentations and workshops um, to generate interest and kind of understanding of what, what kind of work I'm doing. And um, just getting started in that, I have had some, some success with that, but that's sort of my strategy right now to kind of reach out into the homeschool community and educate them about what I'm trying to do. That sounds interesting. It's like you're building a whole new niche for yourself and you really are having to kind of build from scratch and actually educate in the process before you can even actually market yourself. And so in that stage, have you already scheduled out kind of your first big trip with the kids or where are you at into actually, you know, putting it all together? Sure, that's a great question. Um, so the problem in this whole industry, and this happens in you know the mainstream industry, Outward Bound and other big programs like that, is filling any particular trip. So um, you might get five applicants, but you need six or eight or 10 in order to run that trip in order to pay the bills, essentially. Um, so I do have a trip up on the website for uh, May of 2020. And um, you know, if I get enough applicants for that trip, then, then it'll run. Um, if it gets less than the minimum that I need, then unfortunately it won't run and I'll have to put another one on the schedule and, and try to fill that one up. Um, so yeah, I do have one on the schedule for May 2020. Um, it's a parent-child trip because I've gotten feedback that sometimes uh, the homeschool teenagers, they don't feel comfortable going alone. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to get parents and their children, their teenage children, to have sort of a shared adventure and create a group of parents and their and their children and go through the same sort of course that we would with a regular group of teenagers. So that's kind of what I got on the schedule for now. So as you're scheduling these trips out, the first question that really kind of comes to mind is because I'm, I'm going to make an assumption here. You're not kind of subject to just only doing summer vacation trips because this normal school year, you know, doesn't apply in the exact same way. Um, so are you planning these trips more around weather and location or what's the kind of logistic that goes into picking the location and picking the timeline and, you know, the extent and duration of the trip? Sure. Uh, great question. And uh, yeah, so several things go into to picking that. The number one is the rainy season in Costa Rica. Uh, it gets really bad from September through November, pretty much. Um, the best time to go is actually January through April. But, um, a lot of people are in the midst of their, their school year. So I try to take into 
consideration both. And I, in this case, I split the difference and put it in May before it gets too rainy in Costa Rica and kind of when um, people are tying up their, their school year, maybe they want to go on a, you know, a trip to Costa Rica as a way to finish out the school year. Um, so that's a factor. i not necessarily tied to uh, summer vacations, although I do think a lot of homeschool parents um, keep kind of a schedule and they have a curriculum for their kids during the school year. So they're not always willing to, to give them a couple of extra weeks off um, to go on a trip like, like what I'm running. Um, another factor is the high season in Costa Rica. I try to avoid that as much as I can. Um, when school lets out in North America, a lot of tourists head down to Costa Rica and you just get longer lines and more traffic. And of course, once we get into this remote village, that's not really a, a concern anymore, but sort of the logistics of, of getting into that village can get a little more complicated in high season. So yeah, that's pretty much what goes into to picking a time. And also I need uh, about a year usually to get people aware of the trip that I'm gonna run and give them a chance to apply and to go through that process and, and get them signed up. And I need sort of a lead time to know, okay, I have eight, eight students interested in this trip. So I have the minimum that I need to make it run or three months before, if I only have two applicants, I've got to tell those applicants, you know, sorry, we didn't get enough interest in this trip. We'll have to push it back a year if you're still interested, you know, or, or push it back a couple of months until we can get more interest. Um, so I kind of got to take all those logistics into account as well. So what are the factors you're considering when you're getting applicants? Is it kind of a serves everybody crowd or do they actually have to have, you know, minimum grade requirements or um, certain, you know, past experiences that make them a better applicant? What's your process there? No, I try to make it open to just about anybody. Um, I know there's a lot of different learning styles out there and um, for a lot of people who study or who struggle in a classroom environment, this sort of trip will be right up their alley as far as how they learn. Um, so if parents are interested in sending them, you know, I would I would love to take, no matter what their grade, um, you know, what their grades are back at home. Um, as far as what the application process is for, well, you definitely need to be, you know, healthy. We can't have um, certain medical conditions out there in the remote areas. Um, so we do have a medical screening for that, um, but other than that, uh, it's open to anyone. So as a parent myself, I mean, I'm thinking years out here, but my primary concern would probably be safety. So in your process of educating people about the trips and all the wonderful, you know, uh, benefits of it, how much of your education is actually oriented towards the parent and to ease maybe any discomfort or nervousness they might have around safety concerns of being in these remote areas or you know doing these kind of camp oriented type of experiences sure and that's a great question and a big one that comes up a lot um so for right now up on my website i have a frequently asked questions page that addresses some of these concerns and um, I have, you know, from my experience working in Costa Rica for seven years, I was actually the risk management consultant for a wilderness therapy program. So I designed the medical evacuation programs. Um, I 
designated, you know, the nearest hospitals for any emergency, all the routes to get in and out of the places we visit. Um, so I have a pretty comprehensive risk management plan. Um, and then of course myself and all of our staff are wilderness first responders. Um, we're trained to, to handle emergencies in the back country and um, first and foremost, prevent emergencies. I mean, at the uh, first and foremost, we're uh, educators. So we try to create a program that, that prepares students adequately for each activity that they, they are gonna perform beforehand um, so that we remove as many mistakes as we possibly can. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a bunch of layers to, to safety. Um, as far as the location, Costa Rica is, is extremely stable politically. That's probably why it receives so much tourism each year. Um, and that's why we chose to operate down there. That's great. It seems like you've thought through a lot of the technical details and the logistics of getting things up and running. So I'm curious to know that just as someone who is new to entrepreneurship, what has this process been like for you in terms of growth? Um, it seems like you're having maybe not in Costa Rica, but just here at home, your own experiential kind of um, travel experience. But not travel oriented. So can you share a little bit about what you have gone through maybe emotionally or mentally in this process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the hardest part right now is I, I work another day job. It's totally unrelated to uh, the outdoor environment. And um, that's kind of tough. I mean, it's not my passion. It, it pays the bills, you know, and it, it gives me what I need in order to focus on building experiential travel. Um, so, you know, it's tough to spend 40 hours a week doing that when what I really want to be doing is leading trips and, and doing the, you know, running this program. Um, so that's been tough. It's definitely been a learning curve as well, figuring out the marketing aspect. I'm, my background is in the safety and logistics and, um, you know, facilitation of the trips and not, not so much on the marketing side and getting clients. So I've been learning a lot about that, about building lists and reaching out and networking and so forth. Um, so that's kind of the biggest, biggest area I'm growing in. So in terms of the business itself, are you a one man shop or are there other people involved in the actual business operation side of the business? So I run all of the, uh, business administration. I have, um, longtime friends, actually mentors in Costa Rica who taught me pretty much everything I know about guiding and instructing these courses. Um, you know, they're ex-outward bounders as well, and they help me run the trips. Um, they have a lot of training and experience as well. But as far as the marketing and outreach and uh, administration, that's, that's all up to me. And so you have a team on the ground, though, is what I understand. I do. For when you actually take the trips. Exactly. So when a trip runs, um, I myself go on them, um, but I will... I always need a second person to back me up in case, you know, in case something would happen to me. So there's always two instructors on each trip and I just reach out to my network down there. I have a, a close circle of extremely trusted um, friends and mentors, like I said, and I'll just choose one that best fits the group's need. And um, we run the trip together. So you said two instructors. So what's the actual student to instructor ratio that you have? We don't go more than six students to one instructor. Um, so we usually limit our trips to 12 students. If there was a special case where we needed more, then I would take on a third instructor. 
Makes sense. There are so many little details to put together when you are really getting a business up and off the ground. I'm sure you'll agree. And such a high learning curve. Um, so one more question about the students themselves. Now you mentioned having learned Spanish in Nicaragua and having that assimilation. Um, do you find that you're looking for students who actually also have some language skills or is that something that's actually being emphasized during the trip to help make their trip easier? How does that interplay? Sure. So no, I definitely don't miss, don't look for students who speak Spanish. That's not a not a requisite by any means. Um, we do teach a little bit of Spanish along the way. They are interacting with homestay families and so forth. So casually, um, they will learn a few words here and there. Um, I think there's a perception here in the U.S. that you know if you go on a couple week trip, you're going to learn a whole bunch of Spanish. Um, you can definitely pick up some vocabulary, but as far as learning the language and getting the grammar structure and all that, you need a lot more of an intensive, immersive experience. Um, so on the short programs that I run, um, you'll pick up some words, but not really get a conversational sort of education in the language. But um, that may be something we look into in the future, designing longer courses with more of a Spanish emphasis. And so when they return to the US, are these students still receiving any kind of ongoing support from you or is there a sense of community they're still tapped into? Or is it really just kind of an experience where they go, they experience whatever growth it is and then they come back and process it, you know, at home in their regular school environment? Yeah, well, I definitely love to hear from, from past students. It's awesome. Sometimes I receive emails from students I had years ago that say, hey, I'm working this cool job in, in Europe or in Africa now. Thanks for the inspiration or thanks for the training and so forth. So those are really cool stories to, to hear about after the fact. There's not, um, not so much of an ongoing support. Um, they do form relationships between themselves. They become pretty tight friends, usually because of sharing this experience. So um, usually... I hear students talking right before the course ends about, hey, let's create a Facebook group so we can we can keep in touch and so forth. And I don't I don't really become part of that um, because it's sort of their thing. Um, if they want to reach out to me by email or or phone or whatever, that's awesome. Um, but I kind of just let them have their experience and then take that forward in life how they see best. And, you know, return students are the best when they have um, some experience and they know what they're getting into and they can bring their knowledge from their past course into this new course that they've enrolled in. Um, that's, that's awesome. So I love to see return students as well. That is wonderful. So now as we wrap up, is there anything you'd love to share about the program as well with our listeners? Um, I think we've covered the basis. Um, if you go on my website, it's uh, homeschool adventuretravel.com. Um, you can learn a lot more about the philosophy and about what I'm doing. It's, you know, it's just information up there that's free if, if you're a homeschool parent that's interested or, you know, just interested in how I structured the business. Um, so there's a lot of information up there. Um, I'm always looking for networking opportunities. Anybody that um, needs my help or thinks they can offer some, some value to me, I'd love to, um, you know, interact with you, hear from you. Um, but other than that, I'll just be plugging along, trying to grow the business as we go.
Sounds great. So my favorite question to ask as we wrap up is, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? That's tough, but I would have to say coffee. Interesting. That's a good one. So um, I'm assuming you have more of that than just drinking coffee. So. Absolutely. Drinking coffee, eating ice cream. And now if, if, um, so you, yeah, you mentioned your, your website. Um, is there anywhere else online that people can find you, follow you, get to know you, um, and you know, your team as well that's on the ground there? Yeah, the website has an about page and that has, um, you know, a profile of myself as well as the main instructors, the main staff. Um, I have a Facebook page as well. It's under experiential travel. If you search for experiential travel on Facebook, you'll come across it. Um, I kind of focus just on an email list and Facebook to, um, you know, try to provide in-depth valuable content instead of scattering too much around other social networks. So those are the two main areas I'm on. Sounds great. So if you're listening in today and you think that, you know, you and your child would love to have this kind of trip together to Costa Rica, then definitely look Zach up so that you can actually go out, experience all that is there to offer in the wilderness and in nature and exploring um, the culture and the language and the food and everything that there is out there in Costa Rica. Thank you so much, Zach, for joining me today. Thank you, Simon. It's been great. I want to say a big thank you for listening in. Without your support, there wouldn't be a podcast. If you've gained insight or inspiration from this podcast, please subscribe for regular updates. And please share this podcast with someone you know who will benefit. Do you have a story to share about your own soulpreneur lifestyle that you set up? Have a life or business problem you'd love a system for? Or want to be an anonymous caller for one of our live segments? Then go to your Anchor app or the Anchor website, find this show, and click on Message and record your story or question. You can also find the show notes on our website at flowation.com backslash T-S-L-P. That's F-L-O-W-A-T-I-O-N dot com backslash T-S-L-P. And subscribe to the T-S-L-P Insider to get a look behind the scenes of what it takes to bring this podcast to life. And get some exclusive offers that are only available to our email subscribers. Also, don't forget to follow at Flowation on Instagram to get updates about this podcast. Mm-hmm.